Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and I've got two old favorites I want to discuss in today's introduction. Uh, but before that, I want to tell you that today's episode is me and Clint from Kamikaze Zombie having an awesome conversation about metal horror and comics. Their new album, Night of the Nuberus, you can get it online. I think at this point we all know you just go in and google uh kamikaze zombie night of the nuberus that's n-u-b-e-r-u-s and you'll be able to check it out and i will be playing a song from that album uh to open up the interview in just a few minutes here so you'll be able to check them out and uh then you can go buy their stuff online but it's a great interview you're going to enjoy it uh these guys kicked ass opening up for doyle and the casket creatures a few months ago i talked to them then about coming on the show because I liked them so much and they were recording the album then. So they had to get in the studio, get all their, you know, get everything together, get it done. Plus Clint had a broken limb. He broke his ankle and still played the show. He had to recover from that. Not that he needed to for an interview, but you, you know how busy life is, uh, family work projects, whatever. It, it's just, you throw a broken ankle on top of that and, your time becomes even more precious. So anyway, we finally got together, recorded the interview. We had a great time talking, and uh, you guys are definitely going to enjoy it. But before we get to that awesome track off of Night of the Nuberus, I want to talk about G.I. Joe and Star Wars for just a little bit. First of all, G.I. Joe. Uh, I spent last night putting together the San Diego Comic-Con exclusive Cobra Missile Command headquarters, this cardboard playset. And it's funny to me that we're at a place in time in toy history where I'm thrilled to have a cardboard playset as opposed to, you know, 30 years ago when I would have thought it was garbage. And now I think it's wonderful. And, and, and no, obviously I would rather have a big plastic badass playset. Uh, but, but it's cool. It's fun. So I had fun putting this thing together. Part of the reason why I put it together is next week's episode is a needless commentary on G.I. Joe the movie. Uh, so I'm, I, it's, it's kind of, you know how your, your, your pump kind of gets primed for certain things? Like, I always love G.I. Joe, but every once in a while something comes along where I'm like, oh, it's, it's G.I. Joe time again. Uh, and I, I, well, you know, I get excited about it all over again, whether it's a new toy line launching, which granted that's not going to happen anytime soon, uh, a new comic book, which we, we talk about how unexciting that is during the commentary. Uh, but I just, I'm, I'm stoked about G.I. Joe right now. Like my G.I. Joe level has, has increased for a little while here. So I, I put that command center together last night, had a lot of fun doing it. I was, I'm binging. Uh, the G.I. Joe animated series right now, and I'm just in, enjoying some G.I. Joe. And, you know, I'm pretty happy with what they did with the 25th anniversary collection. I, I honestly couldn't ask for too much more. If they ever get around to doing a six-inch figure series, yes, obviously, I'll get them. I, I love G.I. Joe. I can't not buy uh, new G.I. Joe toys, unless they're completely goony, uh, like the the G.I. Joe Extreme or uh, the, what was it, Omega? Oh, man. 
Omega Six. What the crap was it called? I can't remember. And even those, those were great toys. I just didn't like the uh, the style of them. Uh, but anyway, so GI Joe having fun with it right now. And if you can get your hands on one of those Missile Command headquarters, uh, I, I don't know what the prices are right now. You know, don't pay a ton for it. But if you can get your hands on one for, for I'd say for under a hundred bucks, because it comes with three figures. Uh, you know, it, it makes a great sort of diorama piece. Like I've already got a shelf that has the mass device and a few other things on it that's sort of set up like a bit of a Cobra headquarters. And this is just going to go on that shelf with the other stuff. It'll be the background kind of. It's, it's cool. I dig, I, I dig it. It was cool. Uh, so anyway, that's my GI Joe stuff. My Star Wars stuff is actually much, I'm not going to say more interesting, but this happened literally just like half an hour ago while we were finishing up Flash, which, by the way, first two episodes of Flash this season were terrible, but three, four, and five have been, I thought, great. I, I'm thoroughly enjoying the show, and I hope that they can keep up this tone. I think the addition of Ralph Dibney, the guy playing him is fantastic. The character is really great as a foil for Barry, uh, and Katie Sackoff as this scenery chewing villain who is clearly having fun who isn't out for revenge against Barry Allen like she was very refreshing uh i i really wish these shows could have more fun villains and i guess maybe it's kind of difficult to uh, draw a fun villain out over an entire season. It's much easier to have somebody that's full of anger and rage. But, but man, I, I, I liked watching her. She was fun. And I, I won't spoil it, but I feel good about our chances of seeing her again. And I still didn't catch what her character name is. I could Google it, but you guys don't want to sit here and wait for me to do that. Uh, what you do want to sit here and wait for me to do is talk about what I saw online while we were wrapping up that episode of The Flash and that is okay i'm going to start with the most recent announcement and work back from there because that's how i found out this information the most recent announcement is that disney will be creating a live action star wars series exclusively for the streaming service that we all already know about uh the funny part is i'm sitting here looking at the article uh from cnet that i discovered this news from and there's an ad for cbs's streaming service on this article now me personally i was already going to sign up for disney streaming service before this announcement even happened uh because disney has been creating quality entertainment for over 50 years now uh even if all disney's streaming service was was their history of television just things from the disney channel it would be worth you know, eight bucks a month. Uh, but it's going to be more inclusive than that. It's going to have original films, original content, uh, uh, studio films, apparently, theatrical releases. Like it's, it sounds to me like it's going to encompass, uh, basically all of Disney's output. And that to me is absolutely worth it. But then on top of that, this announcement that there's going to be a live action Star Wars TV series is very exciting. Now look. No, I don't 100% believe that it's going to be great. Uh, I have a lot of faith in Disney. I certainly have a lot of faith in the people who are in charge of Star Wars right now. Uh, they're, the, the comics and the movies are knocking it out of the park. 
some of the books are really, really good. Some of them I can't even read because I can't tolerate the writing style. Uh, I, I have been stuck on the third chapter of the Captain Phasma book for a while because I really, really want to read it, but the author really, really doesn't want me to. Uh, but overall, I'm very happy with what Disney has done with Star Wars. Uh, I think Hasbro, and I don't know whose fault the toy stuff is. Obviously, the accelerated release schedule for the movies is hurting the toy line because we just don't have enough time to get enough waves to have a good representation of each movie like we used to, and that's really bothering me. Uh, as much as I like the Last Jedi stuff that's out now, uh, it is disappointing that the large percentage of it is stuff we've seen before. So, you know, I, I'm overall I'm happy things could be better, but I'm excited for a live action Star Wars TV show. I think there's so much potential there. Uh, at least I was excited until I saw the second headline, which was. And I believe it's Ryan Johnson. I've said Rianne for years, but I think it's Ryan Johnson, uh, writer-director of Star Wars The Last Jedi, to create all-new Star Wars trilogy. Okay, now look, that headline alone is cool because that suggests to me, oh, wow, we're going to get uh, something separate from the Skywalker family story, which I don't have the problem with that that a lot of people like to say that they have. Uh yeah, yes, it is a wider galaxy, and I want more. Uh, having read Expanded Universe for years and years, and that actually being my preferred canon for a long time, uh, there's a lot more to look at than just the Skywalkers or even just the Jedi and the Sith. Uh, so that's exciting to me. That sounds like, oh, cool, we're going to get new adventures. However, <laughs> I get into the article, and this one is from StarWars.com, and it shows me just how different this is going to be. Uh, it looks like it's not necessarily even going to be canon with what exists. And that I find a little troubling. Uh, and I, I would love to be able to talk to our pal Chad Shonk about it. I shot him a message before I came down here to record... Uh, but we, we didn't have time to get online because I've got to get this episode. I've, I've got to be up in the morning, so i got to get this done. So obviously we'll talk about this uh, very, very soon in the future. But I, I don't I don't care for the idea of branching out beyond the galaxy. And there, there's I've read several different articles on it, and it it doesn't... I don't get the sense that this is concrete. I feel like maybe some of the reporting is a little off. Some of the quotes could be a little off. So as things go along, we'll find out more. But the general feeling I get is that this may not even be part of canon. I don't know. I'm reading the StarWars.com. Here, here, you make of it what you will so I can wrap this thing up. As writer-director of The Last Jedi, Johnson conceived and realized a powerful film of which Lucasfilm and Disney are immensely proud. In shepherding this new trilogy, which is separate from the episodic Skywalker saga, Johnson will introduce new characters from a corner of the galaxy that Star Wars lore has never before explored. 
Uh, we all loved working with Ryan on The Last Jedi, said Kathleen Kennedy, president of Lucasfilm. He's a creative force, and watching him craft The Last Jedi from start to finish was one of the great joys of my career. Ryan will do amazing things with the blank can- canvas of this new trilogy. Uh, so this that's the original article, and it sounds to me like some things have been taken out of context now that I'm really sitting and analyzing that. Like, that just means it's this galaxy... But it's, so it's canon with everything else. It's not some kind of fresh start. It's not some kind of reboot, uh, which is what another article I read suggested. And that's why it's important to get to the source on the internet because it's, it's just like whatever that game is where you start a rumor and then pass it around the room. And by the time it gets back to the first person, it's completely different. That's the internet. Uh, telephone, right? Isn't that what that's called? All the internet is, ironically, is a giant game of telephone. So you get got to get back to the source announcement. And the source announcement, to me, just means exactly what I said, that it, it has nothing to do with the Skywalkers. Uh, it just uses the, the Star Wars canvas. And I, that I'm down with. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for that, and that sounds like a great idea. Uh, but again, it's even more Star Wars... Uh, you know, are we going to get up to the two films a year that they want it to be? And what is that going to do to, to the toys? So I, I don't know. That's again, there's a lot more conversation to be had here. I've already taken up too much of this episode talking about it. Please let me know what you think, uh, about this Star Wars news. If you haven't joined the Needless Things podcast Facebook group, go do it now. Uh, just post freely in there, you guys. Any kind of nerd news. Now, we generally discourage negativity. Like, I don't want anybody putting up, uh, just this sucks, this is bullshit, because that's not interesting. Uh, you know, if you want to post something, post, hey, I just read this news, what do you guys think? I don't particularly care for it because this, 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 and this. Uh, but just this sucks, uh, we don't encourage that. And those posts, those kind of posts will be just deleted, because, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, so anyway, that's what we got, you guys. Uh, ended up being a big news day when I wasn't sure what I was going to talk about in this intro, and now I've almost hit the 15-minute mark before we've even gotten to fresh off of the brand-new Kamikaze Zombie album, which you can find online. Google it right now. Night of the Nuberus. This song is Death Rides a Horse. And after that, you'll be able to listen to me and Clint talk about horror, comics, and heavy metal. Yeah, 
in your life? What's the matter? Can I get your ghost spot? <laughs> I'm sitting here with Clint from Kamikaze Zombie, who I actually met several months ago and uh, wanted to get together with. Uh, welcome to the show, Clint, first of all. Hey. <laughs> and, uh, like, you guys absolutely blew me away. I saw you playing with the casket creatures, and, uh, oh, man, I totally fell out of my head, the main act. Cause Doyle? I... <laughs> oh, is it Doyle? I was thinking it was... Yeah. Uh, but you guys came out, and I wasn't familiar with you. I just knew you had a great name, because <laughs> Kamikaze <laughs> Zombie is badass, and just killed it. I mean, because typically, you know, you show up early, and I was wanting to see the Casket Creatures. I was wanting to see Doyle. And it's kind of like opening band you haven't heard of. Okay, well, let's get through this and get to the band I came here to see. <laughs> right. But uh, you guys really, really did an amazing job, and I think it was you that you had a broken ankle or something. Yeah, yeah, I broke my ankle about two or three weeks before that, and we played a. It was funny the, the day I broke it. I um was uh, walking my dog, and he, he got after a cat like seven o'clock in the morning, and we're getting ready to play in Tennessee at a at a, at a festival. So I walk in and I tell my wife, I say, hey, uh, I think I broke my ankle. I'm driving to Tennessee. I'll see you tonight. And I went and played the festival on a broken ankle <laughs> before, I even went to, before I even went to the hospital. That's What, were you sitting on a stool or something? How in the world did you even do that? Uh, no, I, I stood up and played the whole time. Oh, my gosh. I You're just, out of your um, mind. <laughs> before, uh, yeah, before, before, well, you know, I do, I do, uh, physical therapy for uh i teach at a college and uh so i i checked it out and was like okay i should be straight it just hurt real bad um i got i drove our van to pick up the rest of the band members on a broken angle and it was the same foot you push the pedal with and then i tell the bass player hey bro you, you gotta drive to tennessee i can't make it and uh came home and then i uh, went to the hospital the next day because i was too tired from the show to go to the hospital that night Oh my gosh! I like that. That's your concession. Not I can't play the show, but you're gonna have to drive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that was really about it. <laughs> so too tired to go to the hospital. You eventually go to the hospital, and th this is how long is this before the Doyle show? Uh, about maybe two weeks. Because oh, by that point, by that point, I already got a, I already got a, a nice boot. Right. They took right. me from the aircraft to a boot. But then when we played the. Uh, but the Doyle show, I actually took the boot off before I went on stage because I didn't want to look like a bum with a boot on. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
<laughs> well, that's right, because I think, I don't think I even knew, but, um, I think Ryan from the Casket Creatures, while, like, while we were watching you guys, he was like, man, that guy showed up and his ankle's like broken or something. And then <laughs> after the show, I think you were sitting with your, your crutches and your boot or whatever off to the side. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, this guy is hardcore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just- so you guys are from, is it Huntsville? No, Birmingham. We're from Birmingham. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. And you, how how long have you been playing together as an act? Well, uh, Steve, the uh, lead guitarist, and I, we've been in, in bands for uh, a long time. We we actually started a, a band together called Throne of Blood a long time ago, in like 2005. And uh, about 2009, 2010, it kind of just went to shit. <clears throat> and uh, when I, Comic Con Zombies kind of, been my like brainchild for a while um we all kind of went our separate ways for a little bit and uh i um, always wanted to do something that was more i don't know just kind of not like like your typical uh metalcore bands that were kind of popular in the early 2000s and uh, i didn't want to be a, a strict death metal band or any kind of like genre like restricted kind of band you know and uh, i've always kind of been a punk rock kid so when I start, first started writing the riffs and stuff for Kamikaze Zombie stuff, I didn't even have the name Kamikaze Zombie yet. Um, I just uh, just started writing punk riffs. But as I started playing these construction songs, I started noticing that punk wasn't the only thing coming out. But I didn't. I was like, "Fuck it, let's just see where it goes." And uh, I knew I knew I couldn't play um, the leads that were required. So I called up my buddy Steve and was like, "Hey, bro, you want to get together with a couple of other?" Friends? Friends that aren't, aren't even the the project at this point now, but at the time they were, and he was like, "Hell yeah!" And uh, about 2014 is when we uh, when Steve joined the band because before that the ball really wasn't really rolling. I mean, I wouldn't even. I mean, the songs were written. I mean, a lot of them I, I started writing, but until Steve joined the band, I mean, we really, really in my mind wasn't really a band. Um, 2015 was our big year for uh, for for KZ, anyways. And it's interesting you mentioned the punk influence because, and, and I until you said it, I wouldn't have been able to put my finger on it. But I think that is what appealed to me is that you know, and I love metal. I've been listening to metal since I was yeah. a little kid. Um, I mean that that was my first style of well, after Weird Al, metal was my first <laughs> style of music I got into. Yeah. Uh, but that, I think that's what got me seeing you guys live is that. It wasn't just metal, like there was something catchy there. It was almost yeah. like there were riffs and hooks a little bit. Like those, uh, it wasn't just grinding, you know what I mean? And I love right. that stuff too, but that's, for me, that's good for two, three songs at a time, and then it's kind of like, all right, I need something else. Whereas you guys, for the whole set, kept my attention, and it was solid stuff. Well, thank you. That, that's kind of one of the goals. For me personally, I've always found death metal kind of boring. Like there'll there'll be like one or two like riffs that I'm like whoa that shit's badass and either they don't let it ride long enough or it get it cuts away or it rides way too long and I'm like okay I'm over it but um I've I've always been like a you gotta have a hook you gotta have something catchy you gotta have something that brings the person you know into what you're doing and I appreciate that you said we do that <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely that that's that's definitely what it is. Uh, what what did you grow up listening to? Like, what was the early stuff that influenced you or, or made you want to play music? 
Oh, man, all over the place. When I was like, okay, so when I was a real little dude, like five or six, my mom got me into, like, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, like, real young. Like, I remember going to, like, first grade singing, like, Black Sabbath, and people <laughs> are, like, making fun of me. Like, what are you, what are you singing? <laughs> and um, as I got older, my, my mom's brother was, he's a little younger, so he was into shit like uh, Guns N' Roses and um, <clears throat> Metallica and all that good jazz. So he'd come over to visit in, in his leather, you know, and all that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I remember watching, like, you know, like White Snake videos and shit on MTV with him. So it kind of started to open my mind to other stuff. But when I got into high school, <clears throat> the bands of the day for me were um, – Marilyn Manson's first album, Portrait of an American Family, was a huge thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, White Zombie was a, a giant thing. Like White Zombie, probably by far the biggest. And uh, then later on, Pantera, Slayer, Metallica, and then I fell in love with with a hardcore and uh, punk, and that's changed my life. Like uh, the Minor Threat, Black Flag, uh, Misfits with Danzig. I'm not a big fan of the Misfits without Danzig, but there it's cool. See, um, I, I love Michael Graves. Well, I love uh, Michael Graves' first album with them. Famous, yeah. Monst- Famous Monsters, I don't love as much. There's some good tracks. But, like, I, I was when when he first got with them, I was kind of resistant to it. <laughs> yeah. But over time, like, I really love that album. It's There's nothing on it that's as, like, iconic and will stand the test of time as well as the Danzig stuff does. But like it's it's uh, technically I think it's like better music. Oh yeah, the guitars kill. There's a couple songs, on yeah, famous monsters that are like, wow, that's fucking badass. And Michael Graves does have a good voice. It's just you know when you're teenage years, you're completely like rebellious against anything, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. That's oh, not dude. dancing, you know. I I was actually talking to a friend of mine the other day, um, who who was in a band, <laughs> probably late nineties. And uh, at the time, I was I was working at the Masquerade, and I, I told you know he had said, "Oh, I was in this band." And I was like, "Oh, I was way too cool to listen to you guys. I I would only listen to punk and metal at the time, and that was it because <laughs> yeah. anything else was lame." Which now I feel like is just the dumbest outlook to have. Oh yeah, but Not you far. know, at the time you're like, "No, you can only listen to this kind of shit and wear black shirts and boots and you know." I I <laughs> yeah. totally had that lame attitude to that. You know, you got to grow out of that. But but uh, yeah, that, that that unfortunately is a lot of people around this area. Man, it's well, and, and that's it, the funny thing to me is there are plenty because I'm um I'm 41 now, and it's funny to me to think. Like I'll look back and be like, man, I was so stupid then, and I missed out on so much stuff because oh, yeah. I wouldn't give it a chance because it wasn't in my narrow, you know, decision, uh, narrow feeling about what was cool. But then I meet people my age and older who are still like that, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay, I, you know, I guess I can feel good about where I'm at now, right? So you had. Uh, uh, you had songs good to go, uh, a, a pretty clear vision, I guess, of what you wanted Comedy Zombies sound yeah. to be, <laughs> and and all of the influence you you're talking about, you know, talking late '90s, you're talking Marilyn Manson, White <laughs> Zombie. Uh, back then, did you have? Were you pretty adept at finding stuff on your own? 
or were you, cause I was a late to the game guy. I had a buddy that introduced me to everything, like every, uh, except for, aside from Faith No More, which will always be my favorite band, uh, most of the other bands I got into, White Zombie, Primus, um, Prong, like all these bands, I had a buddy who was a musician. He was the guy that had like Hit Parader magazine and like all the metal magazines and was the first guy to tell anyone about whatever the new band was. So I didn't, very rarely did I find anything on my own. Were you good at that or did you have like music guys helping you out? Um, I think I was, uh, my whole clique at that time, like, uh, and I'm still friends with a couple of those guys. Uh, we were kind of, I guess, ahead of our, ahead of our time on a lot of stuff. <clears throat> and, um, I don't know, like, uh, yeah, when I turned about, I don't know, 14, 15, it was game over for me. Like, music was it. I didn't really give a shit about anything else other than movies and, uh, comic books, which seep into KZ hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially the lyrics and the imagery. And, um, <clears throat> I just, uh, and pro wrestling, oddly enough. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, I just kind of, like, um, I felt like getting into a lot of the underground bands that were underground at the time. Like, I remember uh, buying the first Slipknot tape and only had two songs on it before their first album even came out. And uh, I remember seeing Slipknot before they even had an album. <laughs> but, yeah, so, yeah, I guess, I guess I've always kind of been that guy, that guy that's been kind of, kind of finding it on my own. I've always been kind of a, a lone wolf kind of guy anyways. Like, I have a few, select few friends, and that's really about as far as it goes with me. A lot of acquaintance and a lot and very few friends. Uh, yeah, yeah. I th- I think most people are probably kind of along those <clears throat> lines, though. I think it's tough to, especially now, you know, as we get older. Yeah, it, it's it it doesn't work like it did when we were kids, you know. Oh what, yeah. <laughs> um, when when did you get started playing? Like, what what uh, did you start with piano or anything? When did you actually start producing music? Uh, when I, when I started actually like for real trying to play. Uh, when I was about 15, I bought my mom, and I still have this guitar to this day. My uh, my mom <clears throat> wanted to get me a Christmas present, and she didn't know what to get me. And um, a friend of mine was selling his Ibanez to buy a Schecter. And uh, I said, hey, man, uh, sell me your guitar for my Christmas present. My mom gave me 125 bucks, and I went and I bought this Ibanez RG. That's my first guitar, <clears throat> and I took it to this a local shop here in Birmingham and had them upgrade all the inputs and stuff and had like uh, Joe Satriani put in the neck and some really kick-ass humbuckers and redid the whole guitar. The guitar is now worth about 700 bucks uh, with all the upgrades and shit. And um, that's where I learned on. I started jamming out White Zombie and Slayer and the Melvins. And uh, I'll see what else. Um, Helmet was another man I started really, and Helmet was a, Helmet actually is funny because we were asking influence of KZ, one of the biggest, some of the bigger bands that like are real big influences for KZ that don't really, you don't really hear is like bands like Helmet, uh, the Melvins, uh, Foo Fighters even, uh, those, those bands kind of seep in to KZ's sound a lot. Man, it's funny you mentioned the Foo Fighters because talking about stuff that I was too cool for when they first hit, uh, cause I, I never, I was never into Nirvana at all. Yeah. Um, that most of the grunge stuff wasn't my deal at all. Not, not and when the Foo Fighters <laughs> first hit, I was like, oh, it's the guy from Nirvana and he's making like pop music. Yeah. <laughs> it took me years before I recognized, oh, they're like one of the greatest bands of all time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, I really like the Foo Fighters. Um, I like them actually more than Nirvana. When when you were learning, like, did you did you even consider like uh, taking lessons or anything, or was it all self taught? It was all self taught. We're too we're too poor. My my family is too poor to even afford lessons. Even if that was something that I really wanted to do, it wouldn't have mattered. Like they wouldn't have been able to afford to pay for them. But um, all my friends, uh, my, my buddy Damon, who's in another local band here in Birmingham, and uh, my, my buddy Thomas, who passed away when he was like 25, <clears throat> he, that guy was ahead of his time. Of anybody in our group, he was by far the guy who was ahead of the curve. Um, we all just kind of sat down and taught ourselves together. We would just sit in, in his bedroom, literally like after school, we'd get home and just play guitar until time to go to bed. And we do that every every day. Like and on weekends in summer, it was just nothing but music all day long. Music, horror movies, and pro wrestling. We just eat, sleep, and breathe that shit every day. See, and that's awesome because that kind of <clears throat> like self determination that that's going to stick with you when you're yeah. when you've de- you've decided this is it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pursue this, and I'm going to keep I'm going to keep doing it until I'm good. Yeah, uh, it is the only way to do anything there's you know nobody can nobody can make you be good at something i don't think if you're not into no. it yeah you definitely got to have like self-discipline and practice and whatever it is that you want to do what kind of comics were you reading back then uh comic books um oh dc mainly and uh, then i got into marvel when i get a little older and it's funny when i got a little older i got into marvel but then when i got much older when i got in my 20s uh, I, I get, went back to DC. Uh, Image is another one. I, I love the Ninja Turtles. Uh, Wildcats is another comic I was really big into. Um, I was reading Preacher at a really young age, which you probably shouldn't be reading Preacher when you're 12 <laughs> and 13, but I was. Um, yeah, Batman, you know, he, he's been my favorite superhero since I was old enough to even walk, I think. But, well, it's yeah. funny how Batman, with so many of us, was kind of the first guy just because of the yeah. TV show and, like, yeah. the like he's he's the one that's kind of been around in some form or other basically our whole lives at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, it's funny because DC, mainly probably because of Batman, DC was the start for me. And then in the mid-'80s, I discovered the X-Men. Yep, yep. And... I'd, I'd be hard, like, at different times of the day, I'd tell you <laughs> Batman or the X-Men were were my favorite. Like, oh, yeah. It, it totally would depend on my mood, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was kind of there. Uh, I jumped between Wolverine, the Hulk, and Batman at any given day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's Hulk. my favorite hero. Yeah. It's funny, you don't hear Hulk as much as far as, like, being among the favorite guys. What is it about yeah. Hulk that, that gets you? Um, It's, well... I kind of can relate to the Hulk in a lot of weird ways. Like, uh, well, at, like, as, as far as studiousness goes or whatnot, uh, uh, when I was in school, I was pretty into the schooling and, and learning and all that good jazz. I made pretty good grades. And uh, now I'm a freaking college instructor. So I totally get, like, the the nerd part of it. But then I also have, like, a gigantic rage monster inside me that's very similar to the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I just relate, and I think about it all the time, like how amazing it would be to actually hook up, you know, when you have those moments of this rage where you just, just wipe out a whole city, you know, or... To be able to like get jumping, it out. Yeah, or if you felt like jumping to China and taking a breather, you could do that too, you know. 
Yeah, I always loved... Uh, did you ever play... I think it was on PlayStation 2. There was a Hulk video game uh, that one of the biggest mechanics of the game was the bounding. Like, you actually... It was almost like flying. Yeah. Oh, man, it was a tremendous game. But it was it was one of the... For whatever reason, that game made me appreciate Hulk a whole lot more because it kind of made me realize... Uh, just the the power and some of the stuff that maybe isn't always depicted in the comics, uh, is because so much of the comics was Bruce Banner, depending oh, on yeah, which yeah. depending on which run you're reading. Uh, but Peter David did really good way. Have you got a favorite run of Hulk comics? Uh, not really. Uh, I, I just can't, I like the uh, what was that one the uh, the Red Hulk series that came out not, not, like early uh, late two thousand. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> that was a really good one, and uh, the uh, World War Holt series is really great. Um, I like the fight scene with him and Wolverine. Anytime, one of my favorite scenes, and uh, watching uh, the Hulk uppercut Wolverine across about a mile away <laughs> over some trees was pretty nice. But... Yeah, they did. Uh, did you read the Ultimate Ultimate Wolverine versus Hulk? It was a it was a mini series that came out. Probably, well, it took a long time to come out because I think the first two issues came out and then it was like three years before the last one came out. Uh, but it was, it was brutal. It, it, it had a lot of, a lot of that kind of stuff going on. It was, it, it was solid. It, is that the one that they made the, uh, the DVD out of? Like, the, they made a, yes, like a small mini. Yeah, I think I remember, I think I bought it from my nephew who just turned 11. And I think that was the first DVD he ever, like, as, being a conscious mind, being able to watch stuff. I think that was the first one he watched because I was getting him into comics. So I was like, I got to get this kid started off right. <laughs> so I would buy him all these comic books and I would drive him around my car listening to all kinds of metal bands just so he'd start subconsciously being like, this is what good music sounds like. But, yeah, it's so funny to, <laughs> to, because I, my son is, uh, turning 10, well, he's actually turning 10 on Friday. Uh, oh. but we're, we're very conscious of, of like, okay, you, cause you can't, they're not <laughs> automatically, well, as the parents anyway, you know, they're not automatically going to like all the stuff you like, right? You don't want to force them to, cause that's lame. Like there is, oh, yeah. there oh, is wait. nothing worse than a sad kid in like a stormtrooper costume that, you know, his dad <laughs> made him wear for an Instagram picture. Yeah. Like that's the worst. So there's this like fine line of all right. I want you to dig this cool stuff, but I don't want to push it so hard that you're like no. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Are you keeping up with comics now? Uh, not not too much. Um, with with our schedule, uh, we um, as far as like I work, you know, a full forty, and then I also have a screen printing company, so I do all the t-shirts for our band. Oh, and nice. then the, and then the band is is touring, and we uh, we play we try to play as many shows as we can. Uh, next year, <clears throat> we always put like unreachable goals like out for ourselves, just to try to push ourselves to see how far we can get. And, you know, it like uh, this last year we we're like, okay, we got to play a hundred shows, which is holy fuck, that's a lot of shows, you know. <laughs> and uh, so this year we're like, we got to play two hundred shows, you know. And um, we always try to like strive for like perfection, even though you know we all know we're you're never going to get it, but. You know, we're going to give her our best effort, you know, to do so. And, um, yeah, so with our touring schedule and stuff, it's just hard for hard for me to really <clears throat> find time to, to read comics anymore. I would like to, it, but, uh, you know, when we're on the road, most of the time I'm driving. 
So, um, and when we're not driving, I'm usually sleeping. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's smart because I know plenty of people who who have the same situation, but then keep buying comics and just never reading them, just because it's a oh, habit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that's it. At least you you recognize where you're at. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just happening. So when you you had your, uh, we'll get back to this. Uh, you had your song set. You call Steve up. And you you had a pretty good idea of what you wanted Kamikaze Zombie to be. Uh, how how did everything come together? Like, when did you guys know it was time to start recording? When were you able to start playing shows? Like, what was the process <laughs> of... Because I'm going to assume you were playing in bands, you know, in and out for a while before this happened. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, like, you know, like I said, me, Steve and I were in, uh, throwing a blood together, but right. when I called Steve, by the time I called Steve up with, uh, KZ, <clears throat> I had already been playing in KZ, uh, just me being the solo guitar player for about a year, but we had literally went nowhere. We had stayed in the same shed, just practicing, hammering out those songs, and when I called Steve in, I was like, hey man, we need a, a lead guitar player. We need a real, in my mind, we needed a real guitar player, because dude can run circles around me. You know, he's, he's an amazing guitar player. <clears throat> so, uh, I called him up. And he was like, he was totally on board. I went by his house and showed him the stuff. And I was a little embarrassed to show him the riffs that I written knowing how good this guy is. But, uh, we, we, uh, he was totally in and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I, I've learned later on, I, I can write pretty good songs. But, um, yeah, once we got Steve in the band, um, we played two shows locally and then we opened for Decapitated. And uh, after we opened for Decapitated, it was just game over. That just um, we, we did really well with that promoter, and uh, he saw something in us, I guess, and he started pushing us to open up for bigger bands. Every time he'd, he every time he'd book a big band, uh, we were the openers there for a hot minute. And um, we went through. We've been through a lot of member changes throughout. We've tried to record our album a few times, but it seems like every time we start recording, either we have equipment failure or member failure or uh, or something of that nature, and it just kills well, it. It's, and, uh, it's tough, man. It's hard to organize anything. Like, anything that requires more than one person yes. turns into this just nightmare of, of scheduling and things having to wait in and coordinating and, and also just how you friggin' feel some days. Right. Because, like, sometimes when, when you're trying to create something, there are times where you're just not as into it in other times, and you don't want your final product to be one of those days where you're not as into it. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we uh, we had a horror story at our at our when we were recorded, and um, it caused us to be a better band. The end, the end product I'm very happy with. The Night of the Nebris album that came out was, I couldn't ask for any more, you know? But um, the process of that was, holy shit. <laughs> well, what went down? What's some of the, what are some of the challenges, aside from just scheduling and stuff? What, what's some of the stuff you guys well, ran into? Well, okay, so we recorded at, um, at uh, Lead Belly Sound Studio in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the same guy who did Mastermind Jazz. And Matt is amazing. He's a phenomenal 
uh, engineer and producer, and, and we can't wait to go back with the guy. But at the time we went in, we, you know, everybody says when you go to the studio, make sure you're, you know, you're ready. Practice your songs, get your beat permit down if you're going to play to a click, all that stuff. <coughs> so we all thought we were ready. We we got together as a band, and in our minds, we had uh, mapped out our BMPs or BPMs correctly and all your jazz and. We thought we had the songs nailed down solid, and our drummer, who's no longer with us, I look at him and, I, and he was this dude was habitually late to everything we did. Mm-hmm. He was an alcoholic, like hardcore. He drank all the time, and uh, he would he would just be a giant embarrassment a lot of times. This is why he would carry himself in public and not always say, "Man, you're you know you're representing the band right now. You're not representing just yourself." So. If someone says, hey, that guy's an idiot, and they're like, that's the drummer for Kamikaze Zombie. No, we all are like assholes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and you yeah. know what? The fact that you're aware of that is awesome because there are entire <laughs> bands that don't get that. Right. Well, you know, and I think that goes for me having, like, years of being a manager, like, management sales and all that jazz. Because you're really representing your brand, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but no, we, so we get into the studio. Okay, on Matt's page, if you go to his website, it says we do not have double pedals on his website. And I tell the drummer at the time, hey, man, you want to bring your double pedals, hardware, yada, 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 like any real drummer would do. Mm-hmm. Show up the first day of a recording, and he has no double pedals. So long story very short, the dude wasted the entire day. Oh, my gosh. The entire day. So that was 300 bucks down the drain just for about midday, Matt sees that being like an issue and was like, hey guys, why don't you guys um, go ahead and start doing click tracks? At least you're doing something, right? Yeah. <laughs> Steve and I bring out the guitar and start uh, recording click tracks. Long story, extremely short, uh, by the end of it, we did the whole weekend, which cost us around $1,000 plus hotel stay. And, um, we get to the end of it, and we can't use any of the any of the stuff we recorded. None of it was worth. Oh man, a fuck, right? So uh, I re- uh, so I schedule more studio time, but this time we by this point we're telling John, hey man, you got to get the hell out of here. Right, so, um, right. Well, and that's so something we, something the listeners and not everybody may be aware of <laughs> is that you know when when you're an independent band, you're paying for this studio time. Like this is coming out of your pocket. Yeah, and the result is, you know that that's that's what you put into it is what you get, and it's all your cash going in. And if you can't use it, is like you said, it's just out the window. Not not just your money, but your time too. Yeah, yeah, it's all just out out the window. And um, so, but we got a we have a new drummer named Josh, and the dude was he's amazing. And uh, he came in, he practiced with us for a couple weeks, and uh, we went into the studio, and in three days we came out with the album we have now. Uh, we redid everything. We redid all the guitars, we did all the drums, all the bass, and all the vocals, uh, just the three of us. Because in the middle of that, our bass player that you saw us with, he actually quit the band too. Now, in in hindsight, you know, obviously it would have been great if everything had worked out the first time and you guys <laughs> hadn't wasted a weekend and all that money, but... In hindsight, were there benefits to doing it twice? I think so. One, we we were already prepared for what we needed to do, and um, you know, no knocking you know anybody because um, 
we're still on good terms with, with Micah, the bass player. He's a phenomenal bass player. He's a phenomenal dude. Uh, I love the guy to death. He's like a brother, man. But <clears throat> looking back and seeing it now, like the way the album turned out, like I, I like the fact that me and Steve um, did everything. I, that it was under because it didn't allow uh, the, the finished product to be exactly the way that I had always had in my head. I had always always heard it, and um, yeah, so I think it kind of worked out for a reason, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's it's interesting because it seems like a lot of the time there are two guys or, or two people who are kind of the consistent core of an act. Yeah. Like other people, and it's not, you know, it's not always necessarily a, a vocalist and guitarist or bassist and, and guitarist or, or whatever the case may be, but the, they're usually two constants that, that keep everything together and then other, other people can sort of come and go. It's, it's interesting. I wonder if that's due maybe with the creative vision or um for us i've kind of nailed it down to a few things uh one uh our age group you know we're in our 30s you know some of us pushing closer to 40 Mm -hmm. and um we're trying to be a professional band you know we want like our goal is in the next year or two we don't want to have day jobs we don't we just want to tour you know yeah and uh my wife and his wife are both completely comfortable with us being bums because <laughs> I mean and truth be told that's what you have to do to, to make it into in a band it's a lot of <clears throat> ramen noodles and uh, and uh, and getting rid of a lot of comfort that being in your 30s you have good jobs is really hard to just walk away from yeah and if you have a family it's even harder to walk away from that you know so I, I get that and being on the road a lot touring breaks people People don't realize how hard touring is. It's not as glamorous as you see in the Pantera or the Molly Crew videos. Right, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You're stuck in a van with other with four other dudes who stink, <laughs> who smell like fucking cottage cheese, you know, and are grumpy and hungry and ready to get the next show so we can play for 15 minutes in front of three people and then you go on the next, you know, and you just watch and repeat that and hope that every time you're you're around the track, those those three people turn to six people and then so on and so forth. It's interesting that because uh, the the touring, uh, it's it's a horrible grind, and I think yeah. I think Alice Cooper said, uh, you know, they're they're not paying me for being up there on stage, they're paying me for the bullshit that it takes to get me up there on that stage. And that's the that's the fucking truth, man. Because <laughs> yeah, tour, touring is tough, especially if you tour like dogs. You know, like our our, our brother band Hexes, those guys tour. Uh, next to our buddies in Childbite, some of the nastiest tour guys, like they, uh, they just, they scum it up. You know, they live in the van the whole time. They never get hotel rooms. They sleep in van, so the van smells extra mayonnaise. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they eat peanut butter sandwiches every day. You know, they drink gallons of water, and that's what they survive on. You know, so uh, yeah, it, it, um, it's definitely not for everybody, but uh, it, it's definitely our goal. You know, that's our, our what we want, you know. <coughs> Have so. you guys run into any uh, like tougher? Because I know it's it's got to be hard booking like booking clubs. You never know what you're going to get if you're going to a new place. Have you yeah. have you run into any issues like with clubs with with kind of shady stuff or or is are people a little bit better now that the internet's out there to kind of spread the word about shady club owners or whatever? Well, I haven't really. Luckily, we haven't we haven't our personally ourselves. 
Uh, the only thing I've noticed about clubs that really kind of suck, and I get it from a club owner's point of view, so it's just kind of one of those 2020 kind of things, but uh, it's having to book local support yourself. And a lot of times, like, they, a club owner, you'll hit them up and say, hey, I, you know, we're on tour, I want to book this show, I'm going to see you this time. And they're like, great, who's your local act? And we're like, well, I don't know, we're not from that fucking area. Right, right. You know? And uh, they're like, well, you need to get local support before we can book the bill. And I'm like, well, you're a local venue, why don't you help us find local support? Right, you're there. <laughs> right. I don't know who's good and who's not, you know, and they want us to find someone to bring you know, a crowd to end, because they know that, you know, we're like Joe shit in the rag, man. No one knows who the fuck we are. Yeah. So, <clears throat> we come through on a Monday. It costs them more money to turn the lights on than it would be, you know, for us just to not show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I get it from the point of view, but at the same time, it's like, well, you know, what do we do? You know, like, I don't know anybody in your area. We want to play the show. I've reached out to every person I can, you know, stalk on Facebook you know, what do we do? Yeah, that's a, that's very interesting. And I wasn't aware of that at all, that that was kind of how things worked. Well, and I guess I, I was aware that, that the touring act kind of looks for local acts, but you'd think the clubs would be a little more helpful with that. Well, like you said, uh, the guy that was booking you guys, mm-hmm. that was, that was hooking you guys up, you know, opening for the, the touring acts or whatever. That's interesting. That's an interesting issue to have. What, uh, how, how do you work touring in as far as, uh, you know, we're, uh, teaching at the, or instructing at the college <laughs> and kind of having a normal day to day life? Well, um, with the college, the reason I picked it, like, I was actually not doing that at one point, And I was like, I need to find a job that would give me substantial off time without having to beg for it. So I thought about teaching. And uh, the college I, I actually teach at is a private institution. So I looked up, um, you know, how could I work at a college and get off at the same time the students got off? And uh, you can actually be what's called an adjunct instructor, which basically they don't pay you for the time you're off work. So that's what I did. I, I applied for that position, and I got it. <coughs> so any time that uh, the students are off for Christmas, they get a month off. I'm off for the whole month. Uh, anytime they fall break, I'm off for a month. I'm off for a month. I'm off for like two weeks for spring break and uh, two weeks, two or three weeks for summer break. And anytime we're off of those times, we're on the road. So Kamikaze Christmas uh, coming soon to attend. Um, well, <laughs> it would be this year. Uh, the only thing that's keeping us from this year is Steve's actually uh, expecting a new one. Oh wow! A new addition okay. to the family. So uh, we're taking this month off, and then my uh, my wife and I will be celebrating some. Personal anniversaries and whatnot coming soon too. So cool, cool. So you actually get a little breather. Yeah, but we're we're, we're planning on hitting it really hard come April. So you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned horror movies. Uh, well, you mentioned yeah. wrestling too, which normally I would get more into, but I definitely want to try and focus a little bit more on the the movies because you know Kamikaze Zombie obviously has a lot of connotation there. Where mm. where did the name come from, and and what kind of movies? Uh, kind of flesh out the feel of the band i guess like where well, where did your taste come from <laughs> well okay so the name um kamikaze zombie had about 50 million other names before we settled on kamikaze zombie uh originally the name was the name of the band was going to be monster zero from a uh, godzilla movie oh yeah yeah 
<clears throat> and uh, we were Monster Zero for about a week. And uh, the bass player at the time, she just wasn't digging it. And um, so then we settled on, uh, I totally ripped off a White Zombie song, which later is also an album uh, called Soul Crusher. We're Soul Crusher for like literally uh, about two days. <laughs> and uh, I, um, I was like, what the fuck name? I had like 90 names written down. I kept going back and I'm bouncing off these guys' heads. And they were like, no, that name sucks. But not, neither one of them were giving me feedback. They were saying that shit sucks. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, thanks. Y'all come up with something. <laughs> but uh, I was at work, and this girl named Reagan, her and I were just hanging out, just shooting the shit. And uh, <clears throat> I was working at, at a massage envy at the time. I was the manager there. And I was sitting in my office, and she was sitting in the front desk, and we were shooting names back and forth. And she was like, what about Kamikaze Zombie? And I was like, that's the most fucking weird name. Yeah, that's it. And that was that was it. I, w- I went to bed that day, and... That was that was that. Yeah, that and it's it's great because and, uh, there are probably plenty of monster zeros in the world. Yeah. And there are probably some soul crushers out there too. But yeah. Kamikaze Zombie I feel like is is gonna be unique. Yeah, the only the only competition we have on Google right now is Resident Evil. I didn't know Resident Evil. I never I never played that I never played that video game. So uh you search our name, and the only thing pop up are us and Resident Evil Zombies, which I'm cool with. I'm like, that's, that's a total win. Uh, yeah, know? absolutely. Because it means uh, yeah. if, somebody's Google, if somebody's Googling Resident Evil, they may actually come across Kamikaze Zombie and be like, oh, they, they, what's this? Yeah, they probably would stumble on us, because uh, right now we're the first first search on Google. where we, We're kind of kicking Resident Evil's ass right now. <laughs> nice. I'm pretty happy with, with that one. But uh, no, uh, that, that was how the name came, but... I made a, a con- conscious effort early on, at the very beginning, that um, the name needs to be goofy and silly and weird and quirky and like a B-horror movie and not a Japanese fire pilot kind of thing. And yeah. So so anytime anyone does any kind of art for us, if I don't do it myself, because a lot of the artwork I draw myself. And um, I was like, no, no. No fire pot, no fire pilots, no uh, no Japanese flags, yeah, no samurais, none of that stuff. I wanted to stay more in the uh, the realm of like 1920s and 1950s, specifically like Bela Lugosi, Lone Chaney Jr., Boris Karloff, monster movies. Well, and kamikaze is a good <clears throat> word because it's one of those that's sort of been around in English for so long. Like it's not an English word. But it's been around being used casually for so long yeah. that it doesn't have such a strong, you know, people aren't immediately going to think, oh, this must be an undead fighter pilot. Like, <laughs> yeah, it just sounds cool, you know? Right, and that, that's exactly where I wanted to end, right there. It just sounds cool. <laughs> so what uh, what kind of horror movies were you digging when you were growing up? Like, what, what did you start with? Uh, well, my favorite, my favorite, all-time favorite horror movie is Halloween. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, but from like my wrist to uh, my elbow is completely Halloween sleeved. Oh, nice. And uh, then other than that, it's like uh, Universal and Hammer films, hardcore. I have a, a, a uh, I guess you would call it a half-sleeve of, of uh, Boris Karloff as uh, Ferguson's monster on the inside of my bicep. So, yeah, just and then I have uh, the Bride of Frankenstein on my right arm. She's Right now, rat rod. <laughs> but so uh, the, yeah, just, the classic stuff. 
Yeah, at first, and then uh, my aunt, she got me into, like, more of the slasher, like, modern uh, 70s, 80s slasher films, like uh, Halloween, and then, uh, you know, Frank's, uh, Freddy Krueger's movies, like The Nightmare on the Street, and the films, and uh, Friday the 13th. You know, I've always kind of had, like, a love-hate with Friday the 13th. Because one is obviously ripping off Halloween. I mean, it's like a blatant rip-off. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, being a huge Halloween fan, it, it kind of... There's a little bit of four in there, you know? But then, like, the... I, I like movies like uh, The Beyond. Have you seen that movie, The Beyond? Oh, Lucio Fulci? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, I, I like movies that have story, that have real actors, you know? And uh, Friday the 13th lacked all of that, you know? Like, it, it's yeah, simply, it's... Friday the the franchise isn't uh you know I love them but they're they're far behind uh Nightmare and and Halloween and actually I didn't really embrace Friday the 13th until I saw Jason Goes to Hell which is blasphemy <laughs> for people mm-hmm. who love Friday the 13th but that movie is so fucking wacky <laughs> yeah. that it it hooked me in, like it got me into the franchise, and then I kind of had yeah. to go back from there and and kind of re revisit them just for being the okay. I get it. The the teens yeah. the teens are misbehaving, but yeah, there's uh in in general I do like horror when like recently we've gotten some really cool stuff like the Babadook, which is you know it it doesn't have any of the gore or anything, but man, that's a scary fucking movie. Yeah. It, the, the atmosphere. I love atmospheric stuff. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, like uh, The Witch just came out. Yeah, that one, uh, they, that, that <coughs> period of time, everything about that movie was felt so authentic. In the end, I didn't totally love it, but I felt like the guy nailed, like the people making the movie nailed what they were going <laughs> for and could not have done a better yeah. job of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, did you see uh, see Mother? It just came out recently. No, I haven't like, seen it yet, and I so want to because people oh. hate it, and I'm dying to see it. Okay, well, me personally, I fucking loved it. Uh, it started off like you're like, "What the fuck am I watching?" And by the end of it, you really are like, "What the fuck am I watching?" Um, and the people that, that don't like it, most people I've, I've most of the critics I've read, and most people I've met who don't like it, they just don't get it. That's the problem. See, They're not getting. And and that's I because after I sort of graduated from your basic American horror because I grew up with I grew up watching Hammer horror with my grandmother yeah uh, and then I got into all the eighties American slasher stuff and whatever but then when I started going to the video store on my own is when I discovered stuff like the Beyond <laughs> and Gates of Hell and oh like, yeah. Um, Fulci Zombie and Suspiria and all that, like, the high-concept, weird Italian stuff. Like, I I have a taste for movies where I don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Like, I don't mind being disoriented and confused like that, because to me, that's a part of horror. Yeah. Is that, what is this? What's happening? Like, that's even... To me, it's scarier to not know what's happening than to see a big guy with a chainsaw running after you. Precisely, yes. Because, I mean, your imagination is always going to be scarier than anything you see in, re- in yes. reality. Yes, absolutely. So that's – we, we just did a – we do – every month we do commentaries for the podcast, and we just did a commentary for uh, Halloween 3 <laughs> uh, the other day. 
and there's a shot in there where one of the one of the robots from the Silver Shamrock factory is killing this lady and he picks up a drill and he holds her head down against the floor but then the camera cuts to just behind his back like a distant shot and you don't see the drill go into her head all you see is her legs just shaking and then they stop and there's no blood there's no you don't see the the action or the effect or anything but it's so much more effective than if they had set up this big effect shot with blood spurting out and the drill bit going into her head and all that. Like, cause your brain is making it horrible. Yeah. 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 I, I love that kind of stuff, man, where it's, it's, uh, there's a story <laughs> and the story is what's unsettling as opposed to just, you know, gore. And I love gore. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, gore's cool. It, it gets a little old after a while. Yeah, it's, it's not uh, it's not done right. Like it's weird. Like you take like uh, someone like uh, George Romero, the gore in his movies are excessive, but there's just still a story there. Whereas like something like Hostel, that movie was just gore for the sake of being gory. You know. Yeah, that well, and that one though, I've I've got to give it credit <laughs> just because it plays on that that American fear of traveling abroad. Yeah, like watching watching that movie is such a cautionary tale, you know. Yeah, did you, did you okay? Is it just me or did you find that be like about forty five minutes too long at the beginning? Like, yeah, they, there's they, they totally there's, I get it. You guys are partying. <laughs> well, and that's exactly what it was. It was there's too much. Like we we know what's happening here. Right. I don't need to get to know these kids that well. I I'm already ready to see them die. Yeah. Let's let's go ahead and move forward. But I actually, because I've watched that movie quite a few times, I, I'm I'm a big fan of Eli Roth. Um, I, I recognize there's some stuff he's done that's not as good as other stuff. But having watched that movie a few times, I think he intentionally gave us more of those kids than we wanted because we're not supposed to like them. Like <laughs> yeah. even even Jay Hernandez, the guy that survives the whole thing. Spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't watched it. Uh, even Jay Hernandez, like he's, he's not a great guy. He's not your typical final, well, final guy, but final girl, like he's not really virtuous except right. at the end when he goes to save that girl. Right. Because he's been, his douchey Americanness has been shocked out of him to the point where he's like, I've, I have to do something. Right. But, but yeah, that's it just it, all kinds of horror can be good horror. It's all about the skill. But but also I do like just seeing people getting cut up with a machete from time to time. <laughs> so you guys, you've got the album out, uh Night of the Nubers. Yeah. And yeah. where where can we find the album? Well, um you can download it on Bandcamp, you know, Reverb Nation, uh soon on uh, uh SoundCloud as soon as I get my ass to in an account. Uh, you can order a hard copy uh, on our website or on our Facebook page or at any show that we're at. And that was the <laughs> next topic is where where are you guys touring? Where are you playing in the uh, coming months here? Well, we have uh, we have one show possibly. Um, well, this thing will air after that show happens if it does happen. Uh, but we should be we may be opening for a bigger a couple bigger bands and a, a bigger tour. It's coming through Birmingham. 
And uh, I can't really announce it yet just because we haven't really got the official confirmation on it. Sure, sure. Um, but uh, if we if that works out, that'll probably be our last show for the year. Uh, and then uh, we'll take some downtime off, and we pick back up in April, and we'll be on tour in April, um, some mid-part of April, for about a week, maybe two weeks, in uh, the Alabama, New Orleans, Pensacola little triangle of death that, that's down here. <laughs> And uh, and then in June we go on uh, 17 days with our buddies in Hellshot from Indiana. And uh, in between that we'll be doing weekend warrior shows all over the place. But that's what we got so far working that's being worked out. We also are looking to be on uh, Full Terror Assault Four and playing Berserker Fest in Detroit if uh, that even happens. We're not really sure with Berserker Fest yet. Oh, very cool. Now, what is, uh, tell me a little more about Berserker Fest. Berserker Fest is put on by, uh, my buddy Sean Knight and his wife, uh, Veronica, uh, from the band Chawbite. And, uh, they, they put it on every year and it's like three stages and there's tons of awesome bands and shit. But, um, you know, that, that's up in the air as, as whether or not we even will do that or not. Right, right. But that, that's definitely one of our goals. <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, anything else before we wrap it up uh, you want to put over about Kamikaze Zombie or, or anything that you uh, were like, this is a podcast, let's talk about this? Uh, not really. Uh, you know, I do want to give a big thank you to my buddy Sean from Childlike because he did do the artwork for our album by the Neighbors, and he didn't have to do that because if you haven't checked that band out, you, everybody's missing out because they're fucking awesome. And uh, he's, on, he's, in a, he's in a real band. And I tour a lot, um, a whole lot. And for him to take his time out of his day just to, to do our artwork for us was huge. And um, just, you know, thanks for supporting us. Uh, thanks for doing the podcast. And, uh, you know, just check us out at com. you know. Awesome. Clint, thanks so much for coming on, man. And uh, I, you guys, like I said, you blew me away. I look forward <laughs> to seeing you again. Uh, and, and I hope you, you get to, to do everything you want to do, man. I think you guys have a, a really cool sound, and I'm looking forward to seeing what goes on for you in the next few years. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Peace out. I truly hope uh, any of you out there that are metal fans go check out Kamikaze Zombie and go download Night of the Nuberus. Death Rides a Horse is just a small sample of the awesomeness of that album. It really is badass. If you're any kind of metal fan at all, you need to add that to your library. Uh, Clint was a great guy. I really do look forward to seeing them play again. I, I, matter of fact, they just played... Uh, this was what he referred to on the show that he couldn't quite announce yet. They just played with Cannibal Corpse a few days ago, or last weekend as, as of this uh, posting which is awesome. So congratulations to those guys. I hope they keep on moving up. The rest of the year, we've got big Star Wars stuff planned. Obviously, The Last Jedi is coming out. Rebels is coming to a close. I don't know if Rebels is going to end before the end of the year. At the rate they're playing it, it's kind of looking like it might. I think they've been showing two episodes at a time. So it looks like Disney wants to sort of get that thing wrapped and move on to the next project, which I hope Dave Filoni 
has a hand in Star Wars for as long as he wants. And I also hope our pal Chad J. Shonk eventually gets in that kitchen. Uh, and he will be showing up on the Needless Things podcast before the end of the year as part of our Star Wars fun. We got a lot, lot, lot to talk about. Uh, and we have very specific things planned as well. So big Star Wars stuff coming. Uh, what else is happening? No, nothing in the world of G.I. Joe. I can't even bring that back around to the intro. But I hope you guys are ready for the holidays. I hope you're excited. I hope you have, uh, you know, personal things going on to keep you uh, happy and cruising through the rest of the year. I hope you've got friends and family to spend time with. And I, I wish each and every one of you all the joy in the world. Good stuff ahead. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vic's employee. And of course, it's at needlessthingssite.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. <laughs>